Hey, Ryan, we've spoken about our sponsor, TrueLook, and their construction cameras, and now they have an exciting new feature to share. That's right, Todd. TrueLook's cameras already monitor the progress on your job sites with high-quality video and live viewing, and now they've upped their security game. You know, with AI-powered motion detection and the new strobes and sirens, you can scare off intruders with bright flashing lights and booming sirens. You know, Ryan, job site theft costs businesses millions of dollars every year. And with TrueLook's professional monitoring service, you can rest easy knowing your efforts and your assets are protected. Sounds like it's well worth the investment. Visit TrueLook.com today to get a free quote and start protecting your job site. That's TrueLook.com. Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast, where we uncover the future of design, building, and remodeling. I'm Todd Miller of Isaiah Industries, manufacturer of specialty metal roofing and other building materials. Today, my co-host is Ryan Bell. Ryan, how are you today? Hey, good morning, Todd. I'm doing great. How are you? Doing well also here on a Friday as we're recording. So uh, Friday, it's been, a, it's been a short week because this is the 4th of July week where we celebrated the 4th of July. And I actually have a Fourth of, Fourth of July slash patriotic joke to share really quick before we start. Do you know why there's no knock-knock jokes about America? I do not know why there are no knock-knock jokes about America. Because freedom rings. Freedom rings. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. That's all I have t- for today. Oh, well, it's a good start. Well, thank you. So let's let's just dive right in. Um, I think we have a very special episode uh, scheduled today here on construction disruption. You know, most episodes we're talking about um, and looking ahead at disruptive technologies, products, practices um, in construction and also in design. But um, today we're taking a little bit different approach to this idea of what disruption is. And instead, we're talking about something that um, really impacts our industry at what appears to be a rather inordinate rate. Um, Very serious subject here today. So there was a study done a few years ago that looked at what industries um, had people in them who committed suicide the most often based upon the industry that they worked in. And the interesting thing was in this particular study, and it was done about, I think, 2016. um, In this particular study, for men, the number one industry um, folks were coming from who uh, took their own lives was the construction industry. And um, for me, um, I think for anyone in our industry, that is certainly a very sobering thought. Um, And today we're going to talk with someone um, about this subject, and this is a person who is actually in the roofing industry. So I hope that everyone will listen closely. Um, You know, perhaps through this and through our discussion of this, you will even learn what to say and do uh, should you find yourself or someone else close to you. Um, at that point of desperation at some point. And, you know, what do you do? Um, I had kind of a personal experience with that a few years ago, and and it's tough. Uh, So our guest today is Chad Dunlap. 
Um, Chad is business development manager for Frost Roofing, uh, based in Walpaw, Ohio. Um, he's been there since 2012. And he is also the founder of Upshift with Chad, uh, which is a coaching business he started in 2018. Um, Chad uses Upshift as a platform to talk about mental health awareness uh, with a special focus also on suicide prevention. Chad um, really has a very personal story um, about how he got to where he is today, and uh, we're going to be asking him to share that story as well. So, Chad, um, welcome to Construction Disruption. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Pleasure to be here, and thank you for having me. Uh, thank you. I, again, serious topic here, and um, we appreciate your willingness uh, to share, you know, what's been built into your life um, in, in hopes of helping others. So um, let's kind of start out before we delve into the real heavy stuff. Um, let's start out um, kind of on this construction specific end of things. Can you tell us a little bit about frost roofing and what you do there? Okay. Well, business development manager. So, so my job uh, typically is just to create relationships, get people to like, trust, and believe in who I am. And then, you know, when the time comes that, that they need roofing uh, or they have roofing issues, they know who to call. You know, it, I'm definitely not the guy who knows every detail about a roof. A uh, matter of fact, when I first started there, it, it, I, I felt that I had to know everything. The owner brought an entire box over and dumped a bunch of stuff on my desk <laughs> and said, there, figure it out. I said, I can't. He goes, exactly. That's not what you're here for. So my goal is to get people to like, trust, and believe in me. And when the time comes that they have a roofing issue, um, I, I, fantastic. And I bring in the guy who actually knows what we're talking about when it comes to roofing. Uh, Frost Roofing has been in business since 1928. We're actually a fourth-generation company. J.J. Smith is the current Amazing. owner. Uh, great guy, great friend. Um, and It actually allows me the opportunity to uh, work for him and, and also run my company Upshift. So I'm, I'm highly blessed. To have him in my life. Very cool. And and you you folks are a sizable organization. I mean, you're not located that far from us. So I've been aware of you for years. And in fact, um, we have been blessed to work with you uh, as a supplier on a couple of projects over the years. Um, you folks do a lot of commercial work, as I recall. Do you also do Correct. some residential? Residential. We got out of residential in 2014. Okay. Um, we, we specialize in commercial, industrial. Uh, it, it just got to the point where uh, you were professional quoters. You know, everybody's using your number against someone else. I mean, everybody with a truck can be a roofer nowadays, and, and that's not what we're about. We're about taking care of the customer and uh, you know doing what's right for them. But it just we're trying to use our use our uh, employees the best we possibly can and just focus on on uh, commercial industrial. Very cool. Well, you folks have a great reputation. I know uh, we have worked with you on, gosh, I think maybe a, a Dairy Queen or two and uh, maybe maybe even a Happy Days restaurant and uh, also one of my favorite buildings around here, the Town Hall in Bluffton, Ohio, uh, was a project we had worked on a few years ago as well. So absolutely uh, good, good stuff. Well, um, again, thank you so much for joining us. So a couple of years ago, um, Chad, you were on the National Roofing Contractors Association Stories of an Extraordinary Industry podcast, and you shared you know, a difficult personal story of your childhood and youth. Um, it's a very personal, emotional story, but it's also the story that 
got you to where you are today, helping others um, with your life and upshift with Chad. Um, can you kind of share that story of uh, what you went through as, as a child and, and youth with us? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll go back. Uh, let's go back to being four years old. I, I guess, you know, when I speak, I tell my entire story. And, and I do that simply because if, if you know where I've been, then you can understand that that you can get through this. So, mm-hmm. so let's, wow. let's at uh, four years old. Um, my family was uh, actually my, my grandmother had been through a very abusive relationship with my my grandfather. And, and she wound up breaking free from that and was single for, for a number of years and met an individual who we were so excited to go meet. So we're, it's, a, it's a December 8th, kind of a rainy, hazy, uh, foggy evening. We're on our way from West Milton, Ohio to St. Mary's, Ohio. And a, and a lady runs a stop sign. We're told that she was on her way to the airport to pick up her son who was in the Air Force. She ran a stop sign, hit our car, and they believe she hit our car around 60 miles an hour. Um, the, and the things I'm going to tell you about the accident here, this is what I've been told. It's not that I could remember any of this, sure, but sure. I was four years old. Um, I'm, I'm told that I was uh, most likely sitting on my mother's lap. And upon impact, my mother and I were both thrown from the car. I, I'm told that we both went through the windshield. Uh, she wound up landing in a ditch, and, and I was in the middle of the road. With me hitting the middle of the road, the car started to flip, crushed me in the middle of the road. Uh, when paramedics arrived, um, and, and this is all you know what I've been told, but paramedics arrived, uh, and, and they could obviously see me in the middle of the road. My mother's in a ditch. She's still alive. Uh, the paramedics were trying to talk to her, um, and, and she said she had two sons. And obviously, they knew where I was. Uh, my, my brother, Todd, was uh, still still in the car. Uh, matter of fact, my stepfather, who was driving the vehicle, was already deceased. And they're looking at him, and they hear something that he's coughing. And they're looking at him. That, that we know that boy's noise isn't coming from this guy. They wound up lifting him off and finding my brother uh, in the back seat. I don't know if you are too familiar with a 1974 Duster, but the Plymouth Duster is the rear seat. You could, if you were going to a drive-in theater, you could pack about 16 people in the back seat. <laughs> and that's where that's where they found Todd. Todd was. Um, Todd really wasn't injured. He was asleep in the back seat. He got beat around a lot between the front and the rear seats. But uh, my, my stepfather landing on top of him kind of, of shielded uh, what happened to Todd. Um, they wound up taking my mother to Pickle Hospital. Uh, she survived for an hour and a half and, and passed away from internal injuries and, and head trauma. Now, they took me to Dayton Children's Hospital. When my family got there, they, they told my family that I was not going to live through the night, that they were going to make me comfortable and allow me to die. Wow. Um, a few hours passed. The doctor came in and said, well, he's still alive. I'm, I'm told that my left leg was broken so many places that when I tried to move it, it would flop around like a slinky on, on the bed. But I, I was coming in and out of a coma. Uh, and, and the doctor came in and said, you know, he's still alive. We're going to start setting bones and, and we'll see what happens. But there's a good chance that he'll never wake up from this coma. I had the car rolled over. It crushed everything on me. And, um, you know, Six days passed. The doctors came in and said, he, he's, he's awake. We have no idea how smart he's ever going to be, <laughs> but, but but he's awake. I had fluids of every color, they said, coming out of my ears. It was brain fluid uh, from what I'm being told. Again, I, I hope that there's still enough in there to get me to at least 80, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for today. Um, six weeks later, I wound up walking out of that hospital on crutches, um, really having no idea what life had in store for my brother and I. The decision was made that we were going to go live with my father and my stepmother. Now, my stepmother never wanted kids. 
there were things that she seen and experienced in her childhood. She, she knew she wasn't fit to be a mother. Congratulations. You're now the mother of a five and a seven year old. Wow. Um, the abuse was pretty minimal when I was little. It didn't take a whole lot to control a five and seven year old. However, as I grew and became stronger, so did that level of intensity of abuse. It, it, it got to the point where my brother would always be in his room and hear me screaming in my room at night uh, and, and thinking that it's his job as the older brother to protect me. And it went on like this for a, a number of years. And, and Todd made the decision. When I refer to Todd here, I'm referring back to my brother. That's my brother's name. He's two years older than I am. Uh, he thought that if he moved into our room, that he could protect me from what was happening. Um, and it actually became the, the opposite effect happening there, that his screaming and begging her to stop became more of a cheering section in her mind for what she was doing to me. Uh, it, it, it stayed like this for, for a number of years. We actually would create our own security system in our room. I would take a glass and I would set it on top of my door ledge. I would crack my door ever so slightly, set a glass up there, and then scoot a wooden rocking chair over in front of the door. So when she would come in, that rocking that the rocking chair would, would have the glass hit it and make enough noise that I could wake up and, and try to cover up my upper body, you know, the, the, the areas that she she chose to hit. Um, life went on like this for a number of years. My brother wound up turning 18 and, and moved out of the house. He received my parents' life insurance money, and uh, Todd moved out. And, and I knew at that point that I had to make some decisions. I knew that if I stayed in that house, some bad things were probably going to take place and my life wouldn't be any sort of normalcy probably for the rest of my life. So I, I made the decision at that point to move out. I mean, I was 15 and a half. Life wasn't always horrible. Don't get me wrong. I mean, living on your own at 15 and a half, 16 years of age, there were lots of cool aspects of it. But uh, not knowing where you're going to sleep at night was was challenging. I had lots of friends whose parents said, Chad, you can you can stay here with us. Uh, for a couple of days, you know, our couch is available, which I'm so grateful for those people. But the bottom line, there was no place called home. You know, there was no normalcy. And I wound up dating a young lady whose mother said, Chad, you're not sleeping in my car. You're not sleeping on my porch. You can sleep on our couch. And I wound up living there with them in Bluffton, Ohio, until I turned 18. Now, when I turned 18, life became really cool. I had an attorney. I met my dad at the attorney's office, walk in. They hand me a check for just under $100,000. And, and I thought I was going to be rich for the rest of my life. You know, as a junior in high school, somebody handed me a check like that. I thought, man, I am set. Mm -hmm. That was December 28th. February of the following year, I received a phone call from my best friend, Seth Reese. And uh, we talked about a lot of things that day. Uh, he talked about how he was dating a young lady. I said, man, that's, that's so great. And he said, well, not really, Chad. She wound up getting back with her ex-boyfriend. And, and I'm sitting on my couch, got my cordless phone in my hand, got the antenna about six feet in the air. <laughs> and he changed the subject. And he says, Chad, I'm thinking about taking my own life. Matter of fact, I'm going to take my own life today. And I didn't believe him at first, right? I mean, we said lots of dumb things at 18. I, I'm 48. I still say a lot of dumb yeah. things. <laughs> but as he continued to talk, I started picking up on some things. He told me that, his grandmother was in heaven waiting on him, that he'd done everything he wanted to do here. And it was time for him to move on. At that point, I looked at my girlfriend and said, hey, put my shoes on. We're going to have to go. And we talked for a little while longer. He told me that he loved me, and he hung up the phone. Now, my first reaction 
was was to call 911, right? I mean, the, the phone's in your hand. But two thoughts started creeping in. One, what if I get him in trouble? My brain's already visualizing the police walking him out in handcuffs because I called 911. Or two, what if he gets mad at me? I, I, I don't want my buddy to be mad at me. You know, he, he's, he's my best friend. He's my brother. Sure. So in that moment, I made the decision that I was going to get there and I was going to fix this. That's what we do, right? We yep. fix things. People call us with a problem. I don't go get somebody else to do it. We fix things because we feel that is our responsibility. One of the things I want you to take away from this is, is it's not your responsibility to fix everyone's problems. It's your responsibility to be able to say, hey, you know what? I'm not the guy, but I know someone who can, right? It's not our job to fix everyone's problems. We, we, we as, as individuals feel that if somebody comes to us with a problem, it's our job to fix it. That's not the case. We'll touch on that a little more here in a little bit. Um, I, I, I went out to my Mustang GT that I had just gotten back from the speed shop, hopped in it. I lived in Ada, Ohio, and Seth lived in Wapakoneta, where I currently reside. And I drove as fast as I possibly could towards 1013 Court Street. And that entire drive, I had plans of what I was going to do when I got there. I'm going to shake this guy up. I'm going to slap him around. I'm going to talk some sense into him, right? I'm going to fix this. That entire drive, I had those plans. And when I came flying up into his driveway, everything changed. I look up and Seth had taped newspapers around the windows to the garage door so you couldn't see in and see what he was planning. Now, everything kind of goes to slow motion in my mind. And even on that day, it seemed like it took me an eternity you know, to run towards his front door. He told me that he was going to leave the key under the mat. I don't recall grabbing the key. I don't recall opening the door. The next thing I remember, I'm running through his living room and, and two things that my brain took in, in in milliseconds, Donahue's show on the left side and a cigar still burning in the ashtray on my right. Now, Seth told me on the phone call that he was smoking his last cigar. I'm no cigar connoisseur, definitely wasn't at 18, but I used to be the guy who was strong enough at the age of 12 at Old Glaze County Fair here in Ohio that I could ring the bell. You have a little bell, right? Then you mm -hmm. have this gigantic bell. and if you could ring the big bell back in the 80s, that guy would offer you either that pink candy cigar or that Swisher Sweet, right? <laughs> Guess which one Chad took every time. <laughs> I'm looking at the bridge here in Uncle's County trying to puff on that cigar, coughing my lungs out. But I knew that if I quit puffing on that cigar, that it would burn out pretty quick. So I'm thinking to myself, cigar still burning. I made it here in time. I can fix this. And I ran into his dining room and turned the door, turned around the corner. Now it's probably a 15 foot span from, from that dining room to that door in the kitchen. Seemed like an eternity. I'm, I'm running forth and it looks like that door just keeps running away from me. Hmm. I get to the door. There's an envelope taped to it. I rip the door open and I run in the garage and, and, and Seth is right in front of me. And I grab him and I, I'm, I'm holding him. I pick him up and I'm holding him and, and, and if I could describe to you the energy that's, that's, it's like a volcano, fear, fear, guilt, pity, rage, anger. If you could smash all those energies together, I felt like that was just erupting out of me. And I'm holding him and I'm screaming. And I look back in the doorway and my girlfriend had followed me into the house and she's standing there in the doorway. And she just melts into that doorway. And I, I think that I came back out of 
whatever weird trance that my brain had put me in in that moment. And I look at Seth and I realize he's no longer with me. Wow. I release him. I, I scoop up my girlfriend. I carry her into the living room. I set her on the couch and I look for the phone and I call 911. Something that I should have done 20 minutes earlier. First question they ask, what's the address? I'm sure that you both have friends that you just know where the house is, right? Yellow house on the corner by the alley. I have no idea what the house number is. I run out the front door. I'm looking around. I run out to the mailbox and I look back at the front door and I see 1013. I said, I think I'm at 1013 Court Street. And I hung up the phone. I went and start trying to console my girlfriend. I look on the coffee table in front of me. There's a note, Chad, mom, and a phone number. Call my mom. There, there, there's nothing out there that prepares you to make that phone call. Wow. I called. She answers the phone. I said, Mom, this is Chad. Seth's done something. You need to come home. And she said, who is this? I said, Mom, you need to, you need to come home. And I'm going to hit pause for a moment. Three weeks prior to this, Seth went to his mom and said, Mom, I feel like I want to take my own life. And she did what every loving mother would do. She took him straight to the hospital. I can remember going and visiting him in the hospital. In this particular floor, they had a smoke room. You could smoke cigarettes in the hospital. I thought this was the coolest hospital ever. I wanted a room there. I'm sitting in this smoke room, smoking cigarettes with Seth, and the room is full of people. And, and I look at Seth, and he says, Chad, he said, there's nothing wrong with me. These people, these people are messed up. There's nothing wrong with me. And, you know, in that moment, I agreed with him. One of the one of the things that I look back on in that situation, and I wish I would have just said, Seth, you're here for a reason. Let's use the tools that we have available to us here to get the help that you need so we can really live this gift that we call life. But even in that moment, I was so worried about him being upset with me that I agreed with him and said, yeah, man, let's just serve your time and get you out of here. Another thing that I hope that people take away from this is sometimes we have to say things that people don't want to hear so that things can work out better for them. I would much rather someone say the things that I should have said and their friends be upset with them than for them to have to be their pallbearer. I assure you, I would much rather Seth be angry with me today than for me to have to carry him like I did. Unpause. I look out the front door and paramedics and police are arriving. They're looking at this situation. How Seth had taken his own life was suspicious looking. I don't really want to go into how he did it. There's no need. He was gone. And I see a little blue Honda CRX come flying up in the front yard. I said, his mother's here. Please shut the door. They didn't. The next thing I recall in that home, and the last thing that I recall in that home that day is hearing her scream. Every time I tell this story, I can hear Molly scream, and it breaks my heart. But my goal with, with Upshift is, is to keep another best friend from having to find that, a mother from having to experience that. That's, that's why I do what I do. That is a powerful story. Um, yeah, I guess I'm curious. I mean, I, I can't imagine the trauma and going through that as a as a young man. And I mean, how how did you get through that? How did that play out for you? Took me a long time. Became a drug addict. Um, hid that from everyone that knew me and loved me. Uh, my nightmares were horrible. How Seth had done it. Um, 
he had covered his face. So I, I didn't have to see his face. And in my dreams, I would always lift that bandana up and it would be my dad, my brother, my girlfriend, everyone that was still close to me in here would be underneath that bandana. So I made the decision that I'm just, if this happens when I sleep, I just don't need to sleep anymore. And, and I became heavily addicted to cocaine. Um, I would stay awake for days on end. And then when I would crash, I would crash so hard that there would be no dreaming because my body was just completely exhausted. Um, I, I wound up burning through all of my, my mother's and stepfather's money that, that, that I had inherited from their passing. Uh, I wound up being completely broke. Um, living out of the trunk of my car, I had a Honda Accord that the seat would lay down and, and I would drive into hotel parking lots, lay my seat down and sleep with my head in the trunk. So if cars, you know, if you had headlights and lights flashing, then I wouldn't see any of that. Um, I, I, I hit a rock bottom for a, for a number of years and, um, wound up meeting my, my wife, 27 years. She's put up with me. Um, she's the saint here. People say, man, what does it take? I said, well, you have to find a Mandy, first of all. And, and I've been blessed with her. Uh, she's put up with so many things. Um, you know, I, I've, I've been addicted to painkillers three times, even since I broke the addiction of, of uh, cocaine. Um, I, I can tell you that you never really beat addiction. You just change what you're addicted to. And, and I, I found channels and, and, and things to become more addicted to. And, and uh, weightlifting is one of those things for me. I go to the gym seven days a week. I've been blessed with an enormous amount of energy. Some people call it a curse. I call it a blessing. I have an enormous amount of energy. And if I don't put that energy in a positive place, my auto default is always negative. So I know what works best for me is to go to the gym. I talk to myself a lot when I'm there. And, and when I'm pushing myself physically, it allows you to dig deeper into yourself mentally. Um, I've also seen therapists over the years. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I believe that people need to talk. We've, we've, we've taken the art of talking away with our youth and, and even our adults now that, that everything's texting, everything instant messages. And, and I always ask people, were you born with a phone in your hand? And they're like, well, what do you, what do you mean, Chad? I said, what form of communication did God provide you with? What was it a phone? And they're like, no. And I see the light go off and they're like, I, 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 I never thought of it that way. That the gift that was given to us for communication is not just to be heard. It's to take the feelings and emotions that you're struggling with and get them out, right? There's so much power in our words and we've taken that away from our youth and taught them that you don't really need to do this. And, and this is so important. One of the other goals of Upshift's presentation is to get people talking. Let's, let's have a conversation. What we're doing here, people don't do anymore. I want to teach them that let's let this be the number one. This can be number two, three, or four, but let's have a conversation. It's good stuff. You know, when you were going through some of your darkest times and, and I'm thinking, you know, as a young adult and you'd lost this friend and you ended up dealing and struggling with addiction. Um, uh, and then it's great. You said your wife's name is Mandy. Is that correct? Came, came yes, into your life. So what, what did you need to hear from friends during that time when you were going through your own darkness? That, that I would get through it and that, that I'm not, I wasn't alone. I think that the, the key 
when somebody is in their darkest moments is they feel that they're the only one going through this, that nobody will understand, right? They don't want to burden someone. So they choose to not say anything. And let's look at the construction industry for a moment. These aren't, these are typically the tough guys, right? I mean, it, it takes, it takes a different kind of guy to go up 11 stories high on a ladder. Yeah. You know, it, it, even if you're tied off, hang off the edge of that roof to, a, to, to tie things on. These guys can be somewhat fearless. Well, when we talk about somebody who's fearless, typically you think tough guy. Well, when you have that tough guy um, stigma to you, we see it as a weakness to ask for help. You know, and, and one of the things that I, that I, I want to touch on is, is I believe that it takes a much stronger person to raise your hand in front of everybody and say, hey, I'm hurting. I, I need help. That's where your strength resides. Anybody can not say nothing and constantly just keep it. But if we want to live this gift to the fullest, we have to learn to heal. And healing comes through communication, through talking through your problems, admitting I'm hurting. You know, we talk on, we, we talk on veteran suicide, 22 a day. Everybody sees that everywhere. These are warriors, right? These guys have dealt with the worst of the worst. And they come home to a civilian lifestyle and they're hurting. And, and if, if they raise their hand and say, I need help, somebody's going to view them as weak. That's not where weakness is. Strength is being able to say, you know what? No matter what anyone thinks of me. I'm going to raise my hand and ask for help. That takes a really strong person. That's powerful stuff. So let's talk a little bit um, about Upshift with Chad and what you do through that. So I think there's a couple of parts of it. I, mean, I know you do public speaking and some of that is with schools. I'd love to hear about that. And then uh, I believe you also do some, you know, one-on-one -on -one coaching type things with people. What, what does that look like for you? Okay, we'll, we'll touch more on my speaking. My, my coaching is very limited. Um, obviously, I'm a city counselor. I'm, I'm a business development manager for Frost, and, and plus I, I speak in, in, in schools and, and do lots of, of safety training for, for companies as well. But the speaking part, um, I, I, I go over my life story. We talk on a lot of statistics of, of suicide, um, and, but people always think it's a suicide presentation, dark, you know, negative. That's not the case at all. We talk about my life story, again, just so people can relate. You know, if they're going through one of these things, I want them to understand I went through it, too. And I promise you that if you do these things, that we can get through it. You know, we, we, we go then go to, through statistics. You know, that suicide is the 12th leading cause of death currently in the United States. You think 12, man, that's way up there, right? More people die from suicide than liver disease. More people die from suicide than Parkinson's disease. Um, let's look at a, at a statistic here. The age 10 to 34, guys, I want you to really think about this. 10 to 34, suicide is the number one killer, second only to car accidents. So if we were to say no one passes away from car accidents ever again, suicide is the number one killer of the age group of 10 to 34. Is that That's, men Is that men and women or just men? I'm curious. That, that is across the board. Wow. That is across the board. Um, you know, obviously I touched on, on, on veterans. Um, then we kind of talk on signs and symptoms, you know, how to be supportive. Um, how do you, how do you manage those thoughts? You know, we talk on those subjects, you know, first and foremost, recognizing something's off. And that's not just with somebody else, be it observant around you. 
we have to do those same checks with ourselves. I talk on self-talk. You know, I always ask, you know, who in here has been in a relationship at some point in your life and everybody raises their hand. And I say, let me ask you a question. If you spoke to your significant other, the way that you speak to yourself, how long are you in that relationship? You know, everybody starts snickering. We broke up last week, right? I mean, how we talk to ourselves is so important. You know, and one of the questions I ask in schools and companies is who has that one best friend that they tell everything to? Everybody raises their hands and, or elbows the person beside them. And then I ask, but do you really tell them everything? Uh-huh. And you see their eyes. Oh, no, there's certain things I don't tell anyone, right? There's certain things that I only keep with myself. In saying that, that means you're your own best friend. How do you talk to that person? Self-talk is so important. You know, we talk on the helpline, which I think that, that everyone should have available to them, 988. Um, consultant, a family doctor. You know, the day that Seth took his own life, They took me to my family doctor. I had no real family around for them to take me to. They took me to my family doctor. She helped me put a plan together and and put me on medication and helped talk me through that situation. My family doctor saved my life that day. You know, we we talk on seeing a therapist. And one of the things that I I have in my presentation is, is write it down. Everybody's like, well, what do you mean by write it down? Two things happen when you write down what you're going through when you're going through it. For one, you're journaling, right? Journaling is a good thing, but when you go talk to your therapist, you have a a whole list of things we need to talk about when I get there, and you sit down, and deer in the headlights, I forgot everything that I was going to talk to you about, but if we write down what we're going through, when we're going through it, when I sit down and talk to my therapist, it's no longer an interrogation. We know what we need to talk about. We can utilize that entire hour of time talking about what it is that I've been going through. So there's, again, many things that we touch on, and I'll touch on just a couple of other things, and, and, I, and I apologize for, for rambling on here, but I have some exercises that I that I take people through. I've already talked on, on the self-talk. Um, I speak on forgiveness, and, you know, everybody says, oh, you, allowed, you, you, know, you learned to forgive your stepmother, and absolutely I did, not just for her, but, but for, for myself, you know, one of her favorite phrases to me as a child was, you're worthless, you'll never amount to anything, you should have died in that wreck with your mother. And that's just a form of control. But I used that phrase all the way through my 20s, thinking that was pushing me to be successful. You know, anytime that I got any sort of a raise, I'd be like, hey, 50 cents more an hour. I made sure she knew about it. I didn't really realize that she still had complete control. I was still giving her complete control until I learned to forgive her. I could finally set myself free from the bondage that I'd been put in many years ago as a child. But the real forgiveness that I'm speaking on here is, and I ask who's been in a relationship where some negative things have been said to you. Everybody raises their hands. And then I ask how many of you have been able to break free from that, but still continue to tell yourselves all the things that were said to you in that relationship, everybody raises their hand. Let me ask you a question. If that's taking place, who is the abuser at that point? I am. I'm the one that still continued to tell myself those things. So the forgiveness that I'm talking on is forgiving myself. Learning to unconditionally love who I am. That's a tough task. That's a tough task for all of us. We love everyone else unconditionally. 
But when we think about unconditionally loving ourselves, we see about 47 different hurdles of why we're not worthy. I want you to start treating yourself as if you are your own best friend. Seeing those flaws gets you nowhere in life. Noticing how precious of a gift that you are is really what matters. We talk about being self-centered. I ask people, what comes to mind when you hear the term self-centered? Everybody says the, the, the same ones, egotistical, arrogant, cocky, pompous, right? Let's break it into two words, self and center. Aren't we always told to love ourselves? We need to become a little more self-centered. We need to become a little more centered. But when we put those words together, it's a bad thing. I tell people, you need to become a little more self-centered. Learn, Start learning to love yourself unconditionally, realizing that, that you matter. And when we start realizing that we are one of the most important peoples in our, people in our own life, everything starts to change. We start treating ourselves as if we truly matter. It's funny that and one of the things that I, that I ask is, what's the most important moment in your life? You know, and, and a lot of the high school kids are like, it'll be the day that I graduate and get out of this place, you know, <laughs> or when, when I graduated college or when I got this job, everybody starts thinking of a time in the past. But the most important moment in your life is the one that you have complete control over, which would be what? <laughs> this very moment. This is the most important moment in your life because this is what you have control over. If we decide to make change, when should we make it? Next week, next month, next year? No, now. Now. There is no better time to make the change that your life deserves than right now. I could, I could ramble on forever here, guys, but I'm, I'm sure there's some other things that you want to talk about. I could talk about this gift called life for the next four or five days if you'd like <laughs> me to. Well, I have to imagine that message you go out with is pretty impactful. So um, it is schools a lot of times that you're speaking to. Is that correct? Is, is this high school level or? I would say I, the age group that this impacts most would be from eighth grade to 80 years old. And, and people <laughs> say, well, that's a large swath of people. I just recently spoke to a, to a sheriff's department, and I had retired deputies there, retired detectives there. And those were the ones that reached out to me and said, wow, you know, it's really tough to get an entire group of law enforcement officers to pay attention, to be quiet. He said, you're one of the people that I've actually seen do that. There, there really is no age. When we start talking about my life experiences, I don't think seventh grade and down can really relate. Again, you have to be relatable for them to understand and take ownership of what you're speaking about. I ask a lot of questions through this. Obviously, the computer makes it a little tougher for us to have interaction, but I ask a lot of questions because when they start answering your questions, they start taking ownership. They feel like they're part of the presentation. And they remember, you know, I've been to lots of speakers in my life. And if you asked me three days later, hey, what'd they talk about? Great question. Let me look it back up. When you leave my presentation, there's a couple of things that I, that I really hope that you take away from that, that, that I hear back often of, hey, this is what really stuck with me. I've had people, I just recently spoke uh, in, in um, where was it? My brain just went blank. Um, but when I spoke, there was a gentleman there that was his fifth time of watching my presentation. He says, Chad, every time that I see you speak, Georgetown, Ohio, let's go back to that. But every time that I see you speak, I take something different away from this presentation. And, and I think that, that that's what matters to me. You know, I mean, if, if you have to come back and, and get something different five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times, I'm on board with that. Because when I speak this, 
you would be amazed how much that I learn about myself by interacting and hearing what other people have to say. I learn so much from my audience and I love that. I'm, I'm not the guy sitting on top of the hill telling everybody how things need to be done. I'm speaking from the battlefield. Mm -hmm. I'm right there with you and I'm learning how to live this gift every day. You know, one of the things that I've heard over the years, um, and I, I don't know enough to know whether this is true or not, uh, Chad, but one of the things I've heard over the years is that, you know, the United States really kind of, okay, I'll use a word I hate, but really kind of sucks at mental health care um, and is not particularly good at it. Do you think that's true? And, and you know, you've kind of touched on it, you know, even saying that, you know, we have this attitude that we can fix this and we can do this and we don't need any help. And I'm showing weakness if I look for help. I, I mean, or look for help. Do you think that that's sort of this American Mm, what I want to say, thing that's bred into us that drives that, or I'm just would love to hear you talk a little bit about that. So, so I'm on the board of Mental Health and Recovery Services for Alamo Glaze and Hardin County. And, okay. And for, for me to for me to say that 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 what we're offering out there sucks, please don't take it. That, no, there's there's lots of different opportunities to get help. Mm -hmm. we, we have conditioned. Um, we've been conditioned over over generations, though, that again, that that it's a weakness or people don't know the avenues and are afraid. Let's let's say I'm at work. Right. Let's say I'm at work and, and I'm struggling, but I'm afraid that if I say something to my employer that they'll fire me. I'm struggling and I, I don't know what to say or who to approach. We need to do away with the stigma that. Fear should be part of speaking about your mental health. I, no employer should, you should never be fearful of losing your job by going to your employer and saying, Hey, I'm struggling. Amen. There are lots of avenues that, that lots of employers are offering out there that, that sometimes can, can offer five, six, seven, up to 10, I believe, uh, visits with a, with a therapist that is no cost to the employee. Um, the key, it's just speaking up. Um, do, do I, you say our government. Um, I can also say that if somebody hasn't experienced this, it's hard to relate. And I, I believe that there really is very few people out there now that aren't impacted in some way by suicide. I don't like using the term uh, committing suicide. I think that when you say committing suicide, somebody's making a commitment. And when you make a commitment, you always feel like you have to follow through when you're thinking about that thought process. I want someone to understand that when suicide is on their mind, they can back out at any time. That it's never a commitment, something that you've committed yourself to that you have to follow through with. No, you can back out. If you're struggling with these thoughts, talk to someone. It's a commitment that we can back out of at any point. You know, there, there's... To me, I see a lot of hope in what you just said. I mean, you're saying, hey, the resources are out there. Um, we have to have uh, the strength to step into them and be willing to talk about that. Yeah, and, and I, I apologize. It was the EAP plans that, that employers, um, if you're going to go talk to your employer, the, the employee, employee assistance program is, is what the majority of our employers have out there. And I think that employers need to start speaking up and, and 
you annually go over your rates. Hey, I, I've not had a meeting with an employer annually that says, hey, our rates are going down with insurance. We always have that meeting with someone, your insurance rates are going up, dental's going up, everything's going up. But by the way, guys, before we leave here, let me tell you about the employee assistance program that we have. That needs to be implemented into every employer's annually, biannually, quarterly. Hey guys, just don't forget that we have this EAP program. It's completely confidential. We don't know what you're talking about, but it's something that we want to implement and offer to you that if you're struggling, we'll give you six free visits and, and then you can decide. Again, let's look at the, the organization that I'm on with the Mental Health and Recovery Services. I've had people reach out to me and say, Chad, I need to see a therapist, but I don't have the money. And, and that allows me the opportunity to call my executive director and say, hey, I've got someone here that's struggling. They need to talk to someone and they don't have money. Nine out of 10 times, you know what? With my experiences, 10 out of 10 times, we have found a way to get those people the help that they need. Again, it needs to be spoken about with that stigma completely out of it. I always make the, use the analogy that, you know, if you roll your ankle or break your leg, you don't try to hide that. You know, hey, I broke my leg. I need to go to see the doctor, right? I'm emotionally broken. I ask in the presentation that how many people believe that an emotional break is so much harder to heal than a physical break? When I break my leg, I, I wear a cast for six weeks, go get the cast sawed off. I, I, I do some stretches and I'm good. I've known people who have suffered from emotional breaks for their entire lives. Hmm. That's, that's not what this gift is about. This gift is about healing and living to the fullest every day. You know, I hope that in our audience out there, there are employers out there who really take to heart what you're saying. I mean, one of the things I often think about, I mean, most of us um, who are, you know, in 40-hour week jobs or more, um, we spend more time with our coworkers than we do with our spouse, certainly more time than we do with any, you know, non-spouse friends that we have. And yet, you know, we don't talk about mental health, uh, at work and, and with our coworkers and our team members and so forth. So I think you got some great advice there. Um, I, you know, one of the things that strikes about me and, and you said, I mean, it's obvious you're a high energy guy and, and you admitted to that. And I love it. Um, but you know, you're, you're filling a lot of roles. I mean, you know, you've got your work with Frost Riffing, you've got Upshift with Chad, uh, you're on the mental health and recovery services board. You're a city councilman. Um, why is that important to you to be out there serving others and serving your community. Oh, and I have to, I, I'll give the opportunity. You got to share what Walpock is famous for too. Okay. So. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get that one right out of the way here, right off the bat. Neil Armstrong, first there man to walk go. on the moon. Um, his childhood home is actually about three blocks from where I'm currently located. Oh, wow. uh, we have the, the Neil Armstrong Museum here. Uh, Walpock is a, is a thriving, growing community, a growing city. Um, I, I, I love living here. I think that there's there's something for everyone here in Wapakoneta. If you're ever in town, by all means, look me up, and uh, I'll give you that little inside tour of of the people and and, and show you how blessed we are to live here. Um, yeah, Wapakoneta is a great place. We were going somewhere else there, Todd, and my brain completely. Oh, I was just asking. You know what what makes you feel that need to serve like that and serve oh, okay. uh, others. 
Yeah. Well, you know, I think back to a doctor telling my family that I wasn't going to live through the night. Hmm. And here I am. And I've, I've been blessed enough to be here. And when I was originally asked to be on city council, I was approached and, and, and I thought, wow, what a way for me to be able to, to give back. You don't, you don't go into a role like that for the money. You know, the money is, is very minimal, but to have the opportunity to help someone when they need it, to be able to, to, when somebody says, Hey, Chad, I need this. I said, fantastic. What do I need to do to make this happen? I'm not the guy who understands politics top to bottom. Matter of fact, I'm probably the least political person on our council board. But that being said, I'm the guy that if you call me with an issue, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get to the bottom of it and resolve it for you. Just be able to have the opportunity to help people. Um, I've been blessed by many people giving me a hand up in life and not a handout. I've never had anything handed to me, but I've been given opportunity. And, and I think that that is the gift in life is the opportunity. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much. This has been a great time together. Um, this has been a powerful story. And I know that there are people out in our audience that this is going to help. Is there anything we haven't covered yet today that you would like to share with our audience? Um, Realist, realistically, no, I think we covered most of the bases. My, my only request would be, you know, tell everyone. I, 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 my, my key audience would be every school, uh, every employer. Um, what do I need to do to make that happen? What, what do I need to do to get this message in front of your people? You know, your students, eighth grade through 12th grade, your colleges. I, I, I've spoken at, at, at different colleges and, and that's an age group where Let's touch on one other thing here. When we were kids, I don't mean to keep bouncing all over, but this, no, is, this is pretty powerful. When we were kids, we were always told, you're living the greatest years of your life right now. You better enjoy it, right? That's that's what we were always told. And, and I think that that has just become a common phrase that I was told that, so I'm going to speak to these kids and tell them that. We didn't have social media as kids, right? I I compared myself to like four other people on my block that had a cooler bike than I had. <laughs> Our youth can now get on social media and compare themselves to millions of other people that they'll never meet. I heard John Maxwell say one time that comparison is the thief of all joy. And that is so true. If you're constantly living your life comparing yourself to everyone else, you're never going to truly reach the destiny that you were designed and put here to do. Never going to reach those people. There'll be a certain amount of people in this world that Ryan's going to be able to talk to. Todd's going to be able to talk to. They just aren't going to listen to Chad. I'm either too high energy or my nose is too big or something about me will keep them from feeling like they can open up to me. And those are my people. If I'm constantly living my life trying to be someone else, I'm never going to reach those that I was put here to reach. This has been very moving. Um, very, very interesting. <laughs> I love that comparison is the thief of all joy. I'm going to be thinking about that all day. Um, but yes, um, my website, Upship with Chad, um, cell phone number, I'm, I'm everywhere. So 419-204-0921, please feel free to reach out to me. I People always ask me, Chad, what's your fee? And I have a general fee, but I always want to have a conversation first because I feel that the message is far too important to put a price tag on it. And someone say, I just can't afford that. I don't know how you can afford to not have this presentation. 
my goal is to never say no. Have I said no? Minimally. There's just been certain things that, that I, I can't I can't put myself in a situation where I can't afford it. Yeah. But my goal is to never say no because I believe that the message is far too important. Well, switching to a little bit lighter subject. So one of the okay. things that we often do or we always do here on construction disruption is what we call our rapid fire questions. So this is a little bit lighter topic than what we've been covering. But um, right. so what this is, Chad, is it's seven questions that we would ask you. Um, some may be serious. Some may be silly. Um, all you have to do is give a response. Um, Got to ask, are you up to the challenge of rapid fire? Okay, I'm just saying I haven't studied, so let's do this. <laughs> well, it's it's painless, and no studying is required. So, um, heck, we'll alternate asking questions. You want to ask the first one, Ryan? Sure, I would be glad to. Before I start, just thank you, Chad, for I haven't had much to say or contribute, but you've given me a lot to to think about, and I thank you for sharing this story. You know, it's, uh, thank you. It's touching. I I have a friend that uh took his life a little over a year ago. He was in the construction industry. And so when I first heard your podcast on um, the one Todd mentioned at the beginning, I was very touched by it. So just thank you for everything you're doing. I just wanted to get that in before we go into this. Okay, question number one. Can you think of any product you've purchased recently that has been a disruptor game changer for you? Sort of like a where have you been all my life moment. Okay, so... uh, let me think here. Um, protein bars. I, I, I've been in multiple different weight loss challenges or transformation challenge and fit crunch. Um, if you've not had, to, I, I tell everybody the gym that I work out now offers fit crunch bars. I eat two for breakfast, two for lunch. And then I eat really whatever I want for supper. I, 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 I typically ride a road bike for an hour, burn about 1200 calories. So I can pretty much make supper, whatever I want, but fit crunch bars. They got multiple flavors. Peanut butter and jelly is my favorite, but they got peanut butter. They've got mint chocolate chip. Um, yeah. Fit crunch bars. Absolutely. Check them out. Are they available in the grocery store? They are available at Sam's club. They're available at Walmart. They're available on, uh, Amazon. Don't buy them off. I don't want Amazon to hunt me down, but typically on Amazon, (laughs) they're a lot more money. I can go to Sam's Club and buy 18 of them for like $23. And um, that's that's the direction I would go. Yes. Shout out to Fit Crunch. Good deal. Yeah. Okay. Well, this may be this next question may be something you can't relate to. I don't know. Um, do you prefer the top half or bottom half of a bagel? Oh, top half. Okay. There's more there, there's more area that can get crunchy. There you go. Yeah. That's that's what okay. I like too. I'll, I'll, I'll smother the inside with butter, but the top half has to be really crunchy for me. <laughs> so, so you talk about all this fitness, and then we talk about bagels. And actually, my next question is not the best either, but let's go for it. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> the next question is, what's your favorite fast food meal or restaurant? Fast food meal. See, I don't do this very yeah, often. That's what I figured. <laughs> but if I, if I were doing this, it's probably going to be uh, McDonald's breakfast. Right. I mean, um, I love that sausage. You know, some, sometimes I'll just go in and get a sausage McMuffin or sausage McMuffin with egg, or I'll ask him to put two eggs or three eggs and make it about six inches tall with about four eggs in there for the protein. But yeah, McDonald's breakfast is probably it for me. Well, that's a good one. I have to say that, uh, so my answer to that would would have to be a QP hamburger and chili. Oh um, yeah, that's pretty good too. That's pretty good too. <laughs> and and I haven't lived up there special for years. Me, but... I eat the special. 
Okay, next question. Um, what is your preference, summer or winter? Summer. Summer. In the winter, my body aches. Every bone that's been broken in this body aches mm. so much when it gets cold. Um, yeah, that's true. I, I, I've learned that you know, people say, you know, why do you push yourself so hard? I'm going to hurt either way. I might as well hurt from going to the gym because if I sit too long, everything wants to freeze up on me. So I have to stay moving. So summer is definitely a lot more pleasant for this body than winter is. Wow. Wow. Side question. Why do you live in Ohio still? <laughs> um, a, a, a wife, two beautiful children. My, yeah. my son is, is, is employed at Rep Pan Air Force Base. My daughter just moved to Indianapolis, so they're close. I'm a grandpa. Um, wow. My grandson turns three here in the next couple of days. Uh, I never thought that I would live this long. Never in a million years. That if you'd ever asked me if I lived to be 48, I would say, no, I'm so glad that I've, I've lived this long. I am living in the greatest years of my life. This kind of circles back to what we were telling our youth that, you know, that, that, that they're living in the greatest years. That is such a lie that we tell them. It's, it's tough for them because they've got the comparisons and they've got the pressures of college and the pressures of, of trying to become somebody. Stick it out. It's worth it. I'm living in the greatest years of my life right now. So, yeah, side note there. I love it. Yeah. Love you it. know, I, I have to add, throw in one thing here, Ryan, and we'll get back to the next question. So okay. most of us don't remember anything about our commencement speeches at any of our graduations. But I remember one, my, my college graduation, uh, Professor Marianne Sullivan, one of my favorites. She passed away a couple of years ago. But um, my graduation from college was back during the years of Bruce, Bruce Springsteen's, what was it, Glory Days song? Um, and she's like, you know, that's such a fallacy. You don't want to live your life where you're looking back and saying, those were my glory days. You always want to be driving forward and have every day be the best day ever. So good stuff. Would you rather watch nothing but Hallmark Christmas movies or nothing but horror movies? Oh, <laughs> man. There's got to be some action in the horror movie. I'm, I'm, I'm all about action, right? So so that horror movie, something has to be happening where somebody's running, sprinting, or, or causing my adrenaline to be up a little because Hallmark, I'm typically going to fall asleep. My wife, she watches lots of HGTV, and um, I have to find myself doing something different because I, I, I don't sit still well. Um, sitting is not my, my forte. Sounds good. Next question. This is one of our favorites here on the show. If you had to eat a crayon, Chad, what color of crayon would you choose to eat? Oh, red. I love apples. Absolutely. Yeah. I've eaten a red crayon before. Oh, no. <laughs> That's the first time someone said that. I think all of them, actually. Did it taste like apple? I, no, it does not. It tastes a lot different. It's stuck in your teeth for days. I don't advise <laughs> but uh, I've had some pretty desperate times, and they look pretty fantastic after a while. Oh, my. Okay, final question. This one's a little more serious. What would you most like to be remembered for? Upshift, making an impact in somebody else's life. We're born for other people. You know, if, if I wasn't meant to make an impact in someone else's life, I would God would have put us each on our own island. I want to be known when people when people look back on on what I've done is is I've been there when they needed it the most. And that's why we're here. We're here to make a difference in other people's lives. That's my blessing. My blessing isn't what I have. It isn't what I'm doing. It's what we are doing together. Well, Chad, thank you again so much for sharing today. Thank you guys. This, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Will be a great episode. Yeah, it has been a lot of fun too, but uh 
Thank you. You share some very personal stuff, and I'm sure that every time you share it, it's reliving it a little bit too. But uh, you know that God's given you that for a reason, and uh, you're going to go out there and share it and uh, help others. Absolutely. So, uh, you already mentioned a little bit, but uh, share share with us again, and we'll also put it in the show notes um, for folks who do want to get in touch with you. Um, how can they most easily do that? Okay, um, up ship with Chad. Um, on on the internet, you can reach me through through. There's a portal there that you can email me. Um, upshipwithchat at gmail.com is, is, I'm, I'm working on a different one as far as just upchat, chad, upship with chat and upship with chat. And, and, but upshipwithchat at gmail.com is the one that you can currently reach me on. Um, cell phone number. I mean, my, my phone never leaves my side. And that's because if somebody needs to call me, my wife says, Hey, Chad, can you shut that off? And no, because it might be the time that somebody needs to talk. Uh, 419-204-0921. Um, I'm available. Give me a call. Let's 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 make an make an appointment and uh, see what we can do for somebody. That's good stuff. And everyone always says, "Hey, I'm available. Contact me." Uh, you're one guy that I know really means that. So thank hey, you. Answer the phone. Good stuff. So I, I have to share real quick as you were talking about upshift with Chad. So my my son went to college um, at a place, uh, Cedarville University, but. Um, their dining hall for for students was called Chuck's because a guy named by name of Chuck uh, had run it for years. So Chuck's actually had two levels of dining, um, the lower main level, and it had a second level, which you can well imagine was referred to everybody as up Chuck's anyway. <laughs> but up shift with Chad. Awesome. Um, so thank you everyone, um, for tuning into this very special episode of Construction Disruption with Chad Dunlap of Frost Rif Roofing and Upshift with Chad. Um, please watch for future episodes of our podcast. We always have great guests. Uh, don't forget to leave a review, please, for us. Until the next time we're together, though, um, keep on reaching out, keep on helping each other, keep on communicating, keep on building those ties, because that's what we're here for, as Chad pointed out, is to help one another. Um, never forget to have a positive impact on everyone you encounter. Make them smile, encourage them. Uh, simple yet powerful things we can do to change the world. God bless and take care. This is Isaiah Industries signing off until the next episode of Construction Disruption. This podcast is produced by Isaiah Industries, manufacturer of specialty metal roofing and other building products.